Let's get to our study now in Daniel. If you would turn to Daniel chapter 6. Now you know the story, kingdom of the Medes with Darius the Mede. And Darius the Mede has taken a liking to Daniel and feels like Daniel should be one of the most promising leaders in his kingdom. And some of you to write an edict that if anyone did not bow down and worship for 30 days, or if you worshiped anyone other than the king for 30 days, that they would be in trouble. Well, you know, Daniel just went about his normal did, and they caught him, and they entrapped him, and they brought him in, and they were reminded uh, by, the king was reminded that this was the law of the Medes and the Persians. It could not derive. It had been signed in agony, Try to think of a way to rescue Daniel, and he cannot, and Daniel is thrown into the lion's den. So let's stand together for the reading of the Word of God. We pick up in Daniel 6, chapter 3, when he had heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored until the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, And may your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at the break of day, Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then David said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the mouths of the lions, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God, the word of the Lord. You may be seated. My first Bible studies began when I was two years old. My great aunt gave me an Eggemeyer's Bible story book. And I know some of you may remember, that's an old school Bible story book. And my mother and dad would read to me uh, Ed Myers and went through it completely. In fact, when we went to the first grade, uh, the teacher asked mom if I could read. And mom said, oh, yeah, he can read. I couldn't read a note. But what I had done, a chandler had read those stories to me over and over so much that I'd kind of caught on to them. And so I would kind of chant along with her, and sometimes she'd fall asleep, and I would just keep going telling the story. And she thought I was reading picture in that entire book. If any of you have ever seen it, it's, a, it's the lion's den. And it's a bank of lions with their faces, and they're growling and scowling, and it's a whole assortment. And the one most menacing is a panther. A black panther is kind of in the middle of the picture with his mouth open and his teeth showing. And, and, and Daniel is standing there, you know, in his, in his robe, just 
praying times, I would sort of, a little bit of fear and trembling, sort of turn back to that page because there's something about it that was mesmerizing. I couldn't take my eyes off of it, yet it was very fearful. So I think, if my memory is correct, that Daniel was the first character I remember the most about. We studied Moses and David and, you know, and Abraham and Jesus and Peter and all the rest of them. But uh, Daniel was the one that stood out because of this incident. Now, the thing that always fascinates me about the seed, a, a very short-term kingdom there in uh, that ancient day, how he had tried his dead-level best to get Daniel out from that sentence. Uh, we're thrown to the lions. And you see it very quickly there in the very first part of our reading uh, where it said, uh, he set his mind to deliver Daniel there in first. Deliverance, kind of a sketch of the biblical view of what is deliverance exactly. And Darius wanted to save Daniel. Daniel to be consumed by the lions. And he had done all he could do. He couldn't break his own law. He couldn't break the law of the Medes and Persians. He couldn't come up with any other scheme that would stay this execution. He was not able to come up with it. In other words, he was not able to deliver Daniel. But he had a miserable night, as we see here. And the next morning, he goes been thrown into the lion's den and the sentence had been executed. He goes to see immediately to the den and opens up Crushed bones and a little bit of blood on the floor. But instead, there was Daniel, and he called down to Daniel. And an interesting, he says, Has the Lord your God been able to deliver you? The God that you trust continually. And of course, the lion's den, like he delivered Peter out of prison of the Sanhedrin there in the book of Acts, but the Lord had simply shut the mouth of the lions, perhaps just take it tight. <laughs> if you read the rest of the story, they got it back in a hurry because the men that had uh, conceived of this evil scheme were thrown into the pit and the account of the consequences of that. But the, but the, but the theme of deliverance, here's... Darius throwing him in, Daniel's God would deliver him. And in fact, that's exactly what happened. Daniel's God did deliver him by shutting the mouth of the lions, letting the whole night God's help. Let's just look for a moment this morning in the time we have at this idea of deliverance. It is another word for salvation. Hebrew word Yeshua says, for he shall save or deliver his people from their sins. And then the, the word in the Greek that's used for deliverance is the word soteria, or so, uh, of things that talk about deliverance. And let me just sketch it for you. It, it helps us. These are actions that God does here. Salvation. That is, they are saved. God's people are saved. That's a common term. We used to use it a lot a generation ago. We would ask someone, are you saved? About keeping salvation. It's a broad term, actually. It means not only uh, deliverance, but it means welfare. It means general safety and general health. It contemplates that there is a danger 
there is something that is hanging over the head or some predicament in which a person finds them from outside. They're sinking and they need to have the, uh, uh, someone throw them a lifeline or someone come in and get them and, and rescue them that way. It contemplates a sentence or an inevitability hanging over someone's head. And that sentence, of course, will be the end of them. And in that case, the rescuing that they need is they need a forensic justification. They need to be found not guilty. And the sentence of guilt that hangs over their head that threatens them and that endangers them from which they need to be delivered is a righteous verdict salvaged is in the idea of deliverance. God salvages something. That contemplates that there's some ruination. Something has been ruined. A soul has been ruined. kind of ruined in a life. And the Bible anticipates saving someone or delivering someone from that ruin by salvaging their life. I was fascinated how often it's translated in our ESV. It's the word escape. Those who have escaped from some kind of, of uh, horror, some kind of terror, some kind of some found a way of escape. And that's what deliverance is. Someone has been ruined by sin, by uh, the corruptionfulness, their addictions to whatever it may be, pornography or food or, or um, uh, idolatry of something in their life. They may be addicted to a lifestyle or a work uh, schedule that has seized from that. In fact, often the idea that's used in the Old Testament is the escapees are those that have been saved. That's used several times in the Old Testament. Manage the escapee, uh, avoid the ruination that comes from the calamity that they're in. A concomitant idea in the idea of deliverance is the notion, and you can see how these are, are within a, a drop-off. There's been a ruin. There's been a step back. There's been a backslide in someone's life and character. And they have fallen and fallen short and fallen aside and fallen by the way. And they need to be recovered and they need to be brought back. This is the, the, the things you see in the, you see the, the little and you slam in the story that the Lord talks about when he talks about the 90 and 9 in the fold and the shepherd leaving the 90 and 9 in the fold and going and looking for the little one lost lamb. That is the, the story of Rekishi through a party with much rejoicing because that which was lost had been found. In fact, that's kind of the word we use sometime that is the, on the other pole. We talk about someone being saved and we're saved by our great Savior. Another notion that is concomitant with deliverance is this notion, this idea that there is a redemption. A redemption involves the payment of a uh, liberty of someone. It always involves the payment of a price. There is a redemption price that must be paid. This is certainly contemplated in notions of bondage and slavery. This has to do with, of course, uh, physical health, but it moves to moral and mental and spiritual health as well. There's a notion is sick. The head to the bottom of the feet were full of nothing but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. The whole soul is sick. Sin sick. There needs to be a cooking step. There needs to be healing powers that can restore us in these ways. Another notion that's in this idea of deliverance, if you sort of sketch it through the Bible, 
is the idea of reconciliation posture. There's a rebellion against a sovereign, and this, these rebels are far off. They are distant. They are alienated. They need to be reconciled. They need to be brought near. They need to have some kind of, of, of redemption and some kind of reconciliation. Well, I think you can begin to see that what we're seeing, for we have found ourselves in all of this. We have found ourselves in need of salvation. We've found ourselves in danger, in needing of rescue. We found ourselves condemned to be salvaged. We're in a predicament. We're helpless and hopeless. We need an escape. We've been damaged, emotionally, spiritually crushed, bitter. We need of sin in which we find ourselves. We need a cure. We are indeed sick. We need a reconciliation. That is, we need that enmity destroyed. And as you see this mix and movement, but then it, it moves to a moral and then even to a spiritual and back and forth. And as you read Isaiah and you read the Psalms, you, read, you begin to get this idea that salvation is a lot in planning the salvation, in decreeing and determining how it shall be executed. The Son coming and executing the things that the Father told Him, obeying the Father in every way, being as it was, then the Spirit of God coming and applying all of that decretive work of the Father, that redemptive work of the Son, and that's what we see in Scripture. We see this, this whole thing here in the life of, of, of Israel. We see the Egyptian bondage, the story there with Moses. We see the Philistine assault with uh, King David and, and others. We see it with, uh, we saw just a few, God delivered them and they came out not even with a stench of the smoke on them. God had saved them. These, these are very dramatic physical rescues and we see it here with Daniel as well. These are, these are various treacheries, various threats to body and soul. Uh, you don't have to read very far into the Psalms to see that David and the other psalmists found themselves. There are cleansing Psalms, purgatory Psalms that talk about them needing a cure, needing a balm, needing medicine for their souls. And on and on you can see that this desire is there. Well, that's what the whole mosaic sacrificial system was designed to do. And let things. If you don't hear anything else this morning, hear this. All the blood of bulls and goats and, and turtle doves and all of the thousands of animals that were sacrificed in various ways by the patriarchs and then by Moses and the leaders of years, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of sacrifices, they were teaching us two things. It all comes by blood. The life of the flesh in the blood and the life atonements and these purgings and these healings to be effectuated. It has to be blood. And it's teaching us without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And they die for another. That that can legally, forensically, righteously be set up to where one person can actually bear the sins to stand on else. The sins, and they both involve blood, the life of the flesh is in the blood, and they both involved the notion of substitute. The mechanism by which substitute affects the salvation for his people. We see them in two things. We see it first in the Passover. The Passover, they slaughtered the lamb. And remember the Lord said, when I see the blood upon the doorpost, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. There were the vertical and the horizontal of the, of the doorposts there, making 
vertical and horizontal across. And when the blood was applied to those doorposts, it was built and shed there on the ground at Mount Calvary. And, and this was the first thing, the lamb that was slain for the Passover. The second thing you saw in the entire uh, system was a, an outstanding day called the Day of Atonement. This was a day when, when there were two goats and one of the goats was taken and the sins of the people were placed upon his head by symbolically and he was released into the wilderness. The removal of the sin from the people. The taking it as far as the east is from the west and plunging it into the deepest of the seas and taking it into the wilderness the far out of sight. But there was sin. And this took place with the other goat. The other goat was slaughtered and sacrificed upon the altar. And only the high priest did this great, great act. And John the Baptist summed up both of them when he saw Jesus and introduced Him. He's the Lamb. That's the expiation. That's the day of atonement. That's the doing away and the, and the taking care of our sin. And so in these, in these two great pictures, we see that, that an, and the people's sins have been, have been dealt with by God and God's wrath and God's condemnation and God's curse in sickness and in death. Christ himself is that deliverance. We finally get to the New Testament, we start reading the Gospels, we realize that all of those notions that are taught to us in the life of Daniel and all nations, those redemptions, those ransoms, everything we see in the pages of the Old Testament is, is thus symbolized and fulfilled now in Christ. He is the one, he's delivering us from the guilt of our sin. He's delivering us from the wrath of God. He's even delivering us from this vile body. We wait a redemption in which this sinful body, this theater and that deliverance is coming. Even a deliverance from this untoward generation. God can keep us in the midst of an ungodly people in which we live. Jesus Christ, hanging on the cross, shedding His blood in our place. Shedding of blood and substitution. Two great principles of the whole system. And as the blood dripped and spilled from all the wounds in his body, and then eventually was poured out for us in our place. He, Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw a vision of God upon the pole, impaled upon the pole, the snake, the serpent in the wilderness, the viper. And all they had to do was to look to live. Trust God. To trust his Christ. Come, repent, believe into Christ, not just about Christ, but that all the work that He did in pleasing the Father becomes your work and it becomes your very deliverance.